0: <sighs> Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase. By law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website
1: for details. The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle, from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, a.k.a. 5E, is full-spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right, 50% off, half off, that's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5 hemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com.
0: You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have long to hear. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton Derosier. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you, it's time to bar.
2: Welcome to episode 207 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster, the Dynasty Guru, and whatever those banging noises were. Keaton, how are you? (laughs) I think
1: that was uh, my chair. (laughs) But, uh, you know,
2: feeling good. Got my first dose of the Vax this morning, so I'm ready to rock. Nice, nice. We both have the same same uh, Vax juice running through our veins, so uh, that that is good. Um, I'm I'm happy you got the Vax. Uh, the more people that can get it, the better. Um, so that's good. You feeling immortal now that you have your Vax juice?
1: Yeah. Um, beeping is supposed to happen, right?
2: Yep, yep. That's just the microchip. You're fine. <laughs> Perfect. Got it.
1: Yeah. Just wanted to make sure that's working correctly.
2: Yeah, it'll, uh, it'll also electrocute you if you forget to pay your taxes. So uh, wow, make sure. Done. We're good. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the lineup uh, and the projection for uh, how the batting order is going to look the opening day. Bench, the projection for the rotation, which isn't at all surprising, and then the projected bullpen as well as some news and notes. Uh, These are lean times, people, so if we go a little bit shorter today, it's because there is literally nothing to talk about. However, uh, we have done our best to fill your ears with all of the latest news and we are going to start off with something that we've been waiting for pretty much all spring, uh, and it took only until there were about eight games left in spring training uh, for this to happen. But Franchi Cordero finally started in left field today. Uh, he's hit fairly well since he started playing again. Um, sort of up in the air whether or not he's going to start the year on the roster, Um my gut was telling me that he probably would, but some comments from Cora have made it seem like that's still very much up in the air. Um, what do you think about the prospects of, of Franchi Cordero getting, you know, ready in time for Opening Day? I don't want them to
1: rush it. I want them to take their sweet time to make sure that he's actually ready. Um, you know, he's had an in massive in- injury history that we have talked about on this podcast. Um, So he hasn't had a ton of games under his belt the last couple of years, coupled with ramping up to play, then not playing, then we're playing again, then he's hurt in 2020. So I don't want to rush it. Um, Eight games doesn't seem like a whole lot of games. So if they want to send him to the alternate site for a few weeks, I don't have a problem with it. I would rather have him – be as healthy as can be for an entire season, rather than them feeling like they need to rush it because they lack depth in the outfield. Um I feel like we go through something like this every year where we're like it's a hundred and sixty-two game season. And if he's not there for games one through twelve, is it really substantial? Probably not. Still plenty of a season left to go. So I just I just like to see him get healthy and comfortable. And then come back.
2: Yeah, I th- I think that's probably the right move, and and um, you know he's looked good when he's been at the plate. Um, he has hits in a couple of his first starts there. So um, you know, first at bat actually of the year, he got a hit, and uh, it is enticing. the The package that is Fran- Franchi Cordero is really exciting because he clearly has just extremely loud tools, and it's pretty evident. Not even. Uh, watching him very long, that those tools are still very much there. So so part of me just selfishly wants to see the best possible opening day lineup from the jump. But I think you're absolutely right, Keaton. Um, Jen McCaffrey wrote a really good article about this today. And, and I included some uh, parts of that article here in our agenda. Um, but over the last four seasons, the injuries that he's dealt with have been a groin injury, a forearm strain, an elbow spur, a quad injury, and a broken hamate bone. The broken hamate was last season, as she reported. And then coming off of the COVID, I do think that it's probably the smart thing for the team to do to play it safe because he does seem to be an injury prone guy. You know, there's just, it's it's just clear uh, from, from what we've seen. And we know that COVID hits certain guys different ways. You know, some people seem to have no ill effects from it, Um For their playing, you know, we saw Freddie Freeman, who had a horrible case of COVID, like he thought he was going to die case of COVID, and then he won the MVP. Uh, And then other people just say that they never feel right uh, after it. So, you know, I I think it is probably the right thing to do. And I think it's also a fair question to ask whether or not we even know that the team takes a big hit without Marwin, uh, or I'm sorry, without Franchi there, you know, like, maybe marwin out there is just as good for the team like franchi doesn't have that track record yet
1: yeah and i think it's a good comparison to freddie freeman because he also had a broken handmate bone and then got covid and then won an mvp so i think franchi going to be in for a good year
2: <laughs> so you're saying there's an mvp in his future i like it <laughs> Yeah, and Cora did say as much, so a couple quotes from Cora from that article. He said the concern is playing him too much right away in the outfield. Obviously, we know about the history with the injuries, so we have to be careful with that. Um, Yeah. So what this does, though, for the roster, Keaton, is it opens up a potential spot for your boy, Michael Chavis, um, who himself talked about how he was probably on the outs with the way that this roster was looking. Uh, he talked about that just two weeks ago and um, Chavis went out today, hit another dinger. He and Bobby Dahlbeck both had another one today. They both have six on the spring. Chavis is now batting 302, 362, 767. Um, in that Jen McCaffrey piece, she said that Cora is steadfast about starting the year with 14 pitchers in 12 position players. So Keaton, is this enough to have Michael Chavez start the year with the team? Yes.
1: He's done enough for me to leapfrog Arroyo personally. Um I mean he's still striking out, but he's actually kind of ran that in. He's had a really good spring. Hitting a bunch of dingers. Uh drew a couple walks. Yeah, I mean, he also this spring he hasn't played in the outfield, but he has played the outfield. At times for the Red Sox, so if we're looking at something like Franchi at an alternate site, Marwin Gonzalez as your everyday outfielder, then you need somebody there who can help spell the outfield, which I guess presumably would be some form of like Marwin or Kike. But having Chavis is another option there who can play the infield and the outfield. I like a lot. Um. You know, he still has an uphill battle to really wrestle at-bats away from the guys ahead of him on the depth chart. But um, if this is the situation that we're looking at, uh, even if Franchi was going to make the team, for me, he's jumped Arroyo. I know the Red Sox organization really likes Arroyo, though. Um, so I don't know if he has leapfrogged Arroyo in that sense. But he's having a great spring. He it, it's, you always kind of has to take... Uh, Reports of guys being in the best shape of their life life With a grain of salt But it's like It's pretty visible with Chavis That he's much more athletic Coming into this spring And he's worked on his versatility So um, You know he's improved at the plate At least You know with his spring um, Looks more athletic Versatile I would rather have him Than Arroyo On the bench
2: Yeah So I I agree with The point that you made that Chavis definitely looks more in shape and has looked good in the spring. Um, I don't know that that does a ton. Well, actually, I'll be more forceful than that. It does not do a ton for me that Chavis has had a good spring. I'd rather him have a good spring than a bad spring, obviously. Um, And I think that if anything, what this does is it improves his trade stock uh, looking down the road further. But... I disagree that he's jumped Arroyo, and and that doesn't really matter for the beginning of the season because both guys can make the roster. With the way right. things look, uh, Marwin would be the everyday starter, um, where Chavis and Arroyo would be on the bench with Ploiecki, um, the way that it looks right now. But you know the fact that Arroyo has been the primary backup to um, Xander Bogarts at shortstop, I think is tremendously important too. Um, especially because Bogarts has been dealing with the shoulder stuff. And while he says that he will be 100% ready to rock uh, for opening day, and I have no reason to doubt him, I bet he gets more days off uh, at the DH position with Arroyo, you know, getting a chance to to start at that shortstop position uh, early on to continue to make sure that that, that you know, uh, joint maintains health. Uh, throughout the entirety of the season. So I think if we see Chavis early on, we will probably still see him at second base and or first base. Um, I don't think we'll see him at all in the outfield, considering he hasn't gotten any reps there. And uh, in this same uh, McCaffrey article, she points out that, um, you know, Cora has said that The flexibility that Marwin and and Kike have in the outfield uh, definitely makes those guys the primary option. But also, she pointed out that uh, J.D. Martinez has been playing a lot of left field lately. So it seems like it's going to be Verdugo and Hunter Renfro uh, in center and right. And then left field is going to be some combination of Marwin, Kike, and J.D. until Franchi comes back.
1: So you don't think that Kike could slide over to short and Chavis could get those at-bats at second if, God forbid, something happens with Bogart's? You you think Arroyo and Kike up the middle still makes more sense?
2: Um, yeah. Yeah, probably. I, I think so. Because I think that you're probably better defensively with Arroyo and Kike than you are with uh, Kike and Chavis. And, you know, Arroyo himself has been good this spring. He's batted 3349 uh five fifty. So it's not quite as good as what Chavis has done. But also, you know, I don't think that Arroyo has the same massive hole in his swing that Chavis has. So I'm probably just a little bit higher on Arroyo than maybe you are. Um, That's fair. Yeah, I mean, so (laughs) that's the thing. It's not like Arroyo has gone out and sucked, um, which makes this a little bit more complicated for Chavis.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess to an extent, I guess I was looking for Chavis to have a good spring. I guess he hasn't made significant strides with his strikeouts, but he has made improvement. So, I mean, I guess if he had maybe ran that in a bit more, then it'd be... More of a discussion. But, I mean, you're right. The other thing is that the Red Sox organization themselves really like Arroyo a lot. So, when we have the the outfield that we expect to have, um, Davis is probably going down. But, as you pointed out, uh, whatever Batsy does get until presumably he gets sent down, if he continues to do this, you're right, someone's going to trade for him. Which, uh, I would hope, helps the Red Sox. In some form, and they don't just dump him.
2: So, yeah, I, I think I saw actually that maybe it was um, uh, who's that dude at the Athletic? Uh, Bowden is it? Bowden uh, Michael. Is it Michael Bowden? I, no, Michael Bowden's the old Red Sox pitching prospect. Um, who am I thinking of? The uh, former executive in the league. It's killing me. Anyway, this is terrible radio, but uh, one of the guys who does like the trade pieces of trades he'd like to see had one with Michael Chavis going to the Pirates, which kind of makes some sense because I think that Chavis was a Charrington guy as well. And, you know, Arroyo is a guy who Bloom and Co. traded for uh, with Tampa Bay. So it kind of makes sense all around that Bloom might prefer the guy who he liked initially. And, you know, if they can get something for Chavis uh, from the Pirates, I mean, that that seems like a pretty cool fit, especially because that Pirates lineup, he would be easily an everyday player. Oh, yeah.
1: And he'd be in the heart of the order, too. He'd have to be batting, like, third or fourth.
2: Yeah, right? It's like key Brian Hayes and then nobody. Scrubs. Yeah, yeah. he'd get plenty of time. So th- that's kind of an interesting thought too. Um, it. I should note here also, uh, Arroyo has zero options. So he can't go down uh, without risking losing him, whereas Chavis still has options. So that's why Chavis is definitely the guy who will move down when Franchi is ready, it seems like, unless there's some sort of an injury that pops up. That's a risk
1: I'm willing to take.
2: All right. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess that's not the biggest risk in the world, right? Exposing Arroyo. Mm, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Probably you want to maintain depth, but it's not going to kill you. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez pitched again today. Um, he has had a great spring. He threw a lot of pitches, so he only went two innings. But, you know, everything is still completely healthy with him. Um, so far this spring, Keaton, 13.2 innings pitched, uh, 0.95 whip, 2.63 ERA, and a 15-2 to strikeout-to-walk ratio. Our boy is back.
1: And then some. I like it. This makes me feel really great for the potential of this pitching staff because it really kind of I mean, a lot of it, at least, hinged on Rodriguez coming back and at least matching what he did in 2019. Uh, if not, you know, he's every year he's been in, with the Red Sox, he's improved. So I think we were hoping that was going to be the case, but we weren't sure what he was going to look like. But the fact that he's looked so sharp after missing an entire year and battling pretty substantial heart issue um, gives me quite a lot of hope for what this pitching staff could actually be. And if he starts off well, I mean, I'm still concerned about the number of innings that really anybody in this rotation will go, because I don't want to see them basically just run him into the ground, and then we get to late August, September, and he's just gassed because he didn't pitch at all last year. Right. Um, but I, I don't think that uh, like a lot of... I really don't... I'm not I'm not going to bank on anybody in this rotation getting like 150 innings. So um, whatever they end up getting from him is going to be huge because they're going to have to do some janky stuff with the rotation. But as we pointed out on the last podcast, they might actually have some depth for that and be able to make it work. So that's exciting. So there's just a lot of optimism, just all arrows pointing up for Erod himself and just the rotation as a whole.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think there's a lot of optimism to be had there. Um, I am a little bit more bullish, I think, than you are in Erod, uh going past 150 innings. Um, you know, I think there's a couple things playing in his favor in that regard. Um, if he can prove that he's healthy and he's effective, uh, I think they'll continue to let him go out there. Um, and, you know, no one really scoffed at the... The talk that he himself had about going out there with 200 innings as the goal. And I don't think that he's very likely to hit 200 innings. I don't think we'll see very many guys at all hit 200 innings. But I do think that that 150 to like 175 mark is potential for some of these guys that are more veteran you know I, I and this is a veteran rotation believe it or not with with the names that are in it you know Erod he's been in the league a while Richard's been in the league a long time Evaldi um, Perez Pavetta I don't think they're going to be protecting any of those guys Um, I think that you know they're all guys with substantial injury histories Um so that probably will be the thing that prevents them from going that but i think if if health is there and effectiveness is there that i wouldn't be surprised if they kind of just let these guys go
1: i guess you're right i mean if they manage it right they have whitlock and a couple other guys they could throw in there to go with a six-man rotation and like skip a start for someone here and there i wouldn't Mm -hmm. be shocked if that's the way they go especially the way that um, I guess just projecting out what Cora likes to do with the lineup and giving guys days off. If like the first month of the year they skip one of Richards starts, and then the next month they skip Evaldi, and then you know later in the season they skip Erod just to try and stretch those out and make sure those guys are pitching at the end of the year. When um, if they're in a situation for that to be the case, mm-hmm. they can certainly manage this rotation to get the most out of these guys. Uh, and I, I feel like I would trust them to do that. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just uh, being a
2: little too cautious. Yeah, I mean, that's normal, too. After the the type of year, it's hard to know also what were guys doing behind the scenes, too, and we, we're not really too privy to that. You know, we don't know how much guys were throwing. We know what the innings totals were in the 60 games that we got to see, but we don't actually know, you know, like – what was their virtual innings total? And when I say virtual, I mean like what they threw in bullpens in the time between when the season actually started. Because remember, these guys all ramped up um, last spring for a normal spring training. And then they had to sort of ramp down and and go home for a bit and and do all these other things. But a lot of guys continued their throwing programs um, between those periods. So, you know, guys who have their own routines uh, and do their own things. You know, the Max Scherzers and and, and these types of guys, like I kind of don't expect them to treat this any different than a regular year. All right.
1: I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. And I think, I mean, right now all of this is just kind of a lot of speculation because we're also hoping that everybody remains healthy. Right. But I think I just keep kind of coming back to I feel like they have depth that I don't hate now. And I think that <laughs> yeah. gives them just a lot of options. Really kind of either either way they roll with this uh if they're spacing guys out, skipping starts or just they feel good so they're just going to continue to roll them out there. I feel weird being this optimistic about the Red Sox pitching. <laughs>
2: You're taking the mantle of optimism, guy, this <laughs> year for me.
1: Yeah, I guess you know, you acquire Garrett Richards and you win me over. I guess. Yeah,
2: yeah I mean they they pretty much had the Keaton blueprint for the off season <laughs> with Garrett Richards and uh your boy Hunter, Hunter Renfro. Yeah. yeah, so. Can't get much better for you. Um, But yeah, it is going to be really interesting to see. It's going to be one of my favorite things to pay attention to throughout this entire um, season. You know, To see what guys clearly were staying with their throwing programs and got their innings in regardless last year. And what guys are going to be on strict limits. So that's going to be something to watch. And I think that we might see that as a separation point between... Baseball teams, you know, we might see good organizations that we know really do a great job staying on top of their guys and in and, and running their organizations at a high level uh, have even more of an advantage than they normally do um, with probably throwing more resources and more time and things like that to managing what these guys were doing when they were away uh, from the club. So. Yeah, we could see a little bit more of of, of a of a gap uh, with that. And hopefully, the Red Sox did a good job with that. I'd like to think that they're probably one of the better organizations at, at doing those little things right um, with their resources and and all that stuff. But we'll see. So speaking of, of
1: though, so that just another thing just popped in my mind mm-hmm. um, with this depth and using their resources. It's not only just the number of starts, but the innings in those starts. Like last year they had um, – it took like three weeks for them to finally have a starter get into the fifth inning. Um, that wasn't by choice. This year they have the depth to actually work that as an option. Like if someone is struggling or if someone just went really deep in their previous outing, get them through four and then throw Whitlock in there for the next three or man entries in there for a run and see basically kind of work uh, – pseudo-opener sitch Mm -hmm. just to manage the number of bullets these guys are really throwing out there. Uh, And I think you're right. Red Sox have been pretty good at managing those assets and getting the most out of guys. So I think that is another angle that we may see here and there throughout the season, especially since they were so keen on it last year. But last year, again, they were kind of forced into uh, every two out of five starts having an opener because the pitching was such trash. So I would like to see that uh, plan uh, in place on purpose, and maybe it'll work a little bit better.
2: Yeah. Having two guys who can uh, fill into that Alfredo Aceves role, as as Matt and I have taken to calling it in uh, yeah. <laughs> in and Matt Andrews and Garrett Whitlock is huge. And, and if we remember, like Hector Velasquez, who is not as good, Uh, from a talent perspective as either of those two gentlemen um, filled that role to a great result in 2018 when the team was fantastic. So we know just how important guys who can do that and fill in those innings gaps, like you said, when guys have bad starts or are feeling a little under the weather or just clearly don't have their stuff that day, like that role is tremendous because it's such a lift too because when those guys are leaving the the start they're not feeling like shit I just let my team down and the guy who's coming in after me is just junk you know if Garrett Whitlock is coming in after the way he's pitched this spring or Matt Andrees who's been in the league a long time like you're like okay you know what maybe I didn't have it but my teammates have my back right now and I think there is something yeah. to that mentally no oh, for sure 100% I like it. I like the depth. Um, this is the stuff that I love about what we've seen from the Bloom uh, regime so far. You know, I didn't think a lot of that Rule 5 selection of Garrett Whitlock when it happened. I was like, oh, all right, we'll see. You know, like, hopefully they can keep this guy on the roster. He's kind of interesting. But then, I mean, we were going to talk, talk about it later on the show, but may as well just get to it now. Whitlock has been filthy this spring. 12 strikeouts, zero walks, nine innings pitched. I mean, there's a potential for a real weapon there.
1: Oh, 100%. And they didn't give up anything to get him too, and plucked him from the Yankees, which is fun. So <laughs> makes it even better. But it, yeah, I mean, I brushed it off the same as you did at the time. It was just, it's a guy who um, felt like the Pavetta, Zach Godley situations where uh, didn't just just didn't pan out at their current org our pitching's trash shot in the dark let's see if it works and they saw something that they could unlock kind of similar to how pathetic has now worked his way into this rotation Mm -hmm. um with a, a good spring and you know he had his solid um showcase i guess at the end of last year in 2020 like they saw something in these guys that they felt they could unlock took a chance and it worked sometimes it doesn't like with godly but uh, it was a low-risk, high-reward situation, and it uh, seems like they are being rewarded properly with a solid young arm here that has to stay on their their team, so uh, or their active roster or get returned. So it's a good thing that uh, they feel pretty confident in him because they'd be in a bit of a sticky situation if not. But I guess they didn't really get anything, give up anything to get him. So if it fails and they end up having to Let him go. It's it's really no skin off their back. So still just a lot of high reward, and he's been doing great. And I think whatever role he ends up filling, if he is, like, the middle relief, um, just, like, giving guys a rest day or spot start kind of thing, or if an injury happens and he's forced into a situation where he's pitching every day, I feel really darn confident that those are not going to be, like, automatic losses those are the days where we're going to give
2: like four of the bats
1: days off right. kind of things like they still feel like competitive games
2: yeah it's not a it's not a situation where even if you had to like piggyback um whitlock and Andrees for a game um you wouldn't feel like you were throwing out ryan weber there and just you know letting the wolves eat yep yeah i agree
0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome
2: to the family.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
2: All right, Keaton, let's uh, switch gears here to the lineup. Um, You wrote an article this week About the Red Sox leadoff situation, Uh, we know that the Red Sox seem to be leaning Enrique Hernandez for that spot, uh, batting Devers fifth. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But you know, what was the for for the people who might not have gotten out to to read the article yet? What was your takeaway?
1: Takeaway that Alex Verdugo is a great option at leadoff, and I would like to see him utilized as such. Um. That's something that you and I talked pretty extensively about last year. Uh, we started 2020 with a question mark of who was going to lead off. I guess we assumed, as Benintendi was the incumbent, he was going to get the first shot. He did poor performance injuries, kicked him out. Verdugo finished the year as a leadoff hitter and did incredibly well. Uh, hit 304, I believe. A couple homers. Most of his runs scored just... His ability at the top of the lineup, not only just to get on base, but make stuff happen once he was on base, was a perfect fit for leadoff. Um, I guess if Devers is batting fifth, I am Verdugo is at least still still at the top of the order. When he was with the Dodgers, uh, the two-hole was basically where he – because I, I wrote the exact same article uh, as we went into 2020 about who should be the leadoff guy um, – and basically came to the same conclusion that Verdugo's really solid source for it. But when he was with the Dodgers, the most of his at bats came from the two holes. So that's someplace he's comfortable with. As long as he's still at the top, I guess I was coming from the article with the assumption that if he's not hitting leadoff, then he's hitting fifth or sixth and did not like that at all. Mm. Um, but if Devers is going to be the one that ends up getting moved down to fifth, that's a lot easier to swallow, I suppose. Um, I still. I guess I'd rather have Devers second and Verdugo at the top because that just seems like you're most productive. But you're not really breaking those guys up, and they're still essentially in that same order where Verdugo will get on base, J.D. Martinez, Bogarts, Devers will knock him in. So it seems like by having Kike lead off and Verdugo hit second, they're hoping that they we'll have just a higher chance of guys getting on base ahead of the power in the three through five section, um, or even six if you want to include Renfro in that as well. So I, I'm not as annoyed because Verdugo is still at the top um, or near the top. Uh, I would prefer him to hit leadoff because I just think he he's much better at getting on base, and he's just a much better hitter than Kike. Um, but if Kike, I mean, he's had an incredible spring and he's walked seven times to only four strikeouts, um, I guess sans what he did today. I didn't see the box score, so I don't know. Uh, but he's having a really good spring and my only concern with him being the leadoff guy after having a really good spring is he's never, uh, really been this good at getting on base or in the leadoff spot just in his or general career. So I don't want to look at the sample size in spring and be like, yeah, he's definitely going to do that when we get to the, the regular season because I don't think that's going to be the case. But he's also, as we discussed several, several times, hasn't really been given a shot to just take an everyday role and run with it. Maybe that has an effect. Like we see, J.J. Martinez has always said he feels like he hits better when he's playing in the field. So the Red Sox work him in the outfield every now and then. He hasn't hasn't really had a chance to take an everyday role and run with it, so maybe with that encouragement and that routine, you know, that plays up a bit, so he can get on ahead of Verdugo. Verdugo can move him along, and then the media order knocks him in, and then you got two runs. That's all right. I guess I'm okay with this and how this is this at least letting it shake out to start the season. I still feel like by the end of the season, Verdugo is going to be hitting number one, and Devers will have moved his way back up to number two, but. Keeping those guys in that same order, I'm kind of okay with it and just kind of seeing how it goes.
2: Yeah, I mean, as l- my big thing here is as long as Cora is willing to be flexible with this and, and as long as he doesn't let it go too long uh, with, with with Kike in the leadoff spot because you know Kike is a career 313 uh, OBP guy. That's not great at all. Uh, that is nope. definitely not somebody who you would want in the leadoff spot. And I think there's a lot of merit to what you said, Keaton. And I'm very much a believer in the mental side of the game and managers making these calls and, and knowing their guys. And, and clearly the relationship there with Cora and Enrique Hernandez is one that is special. You know, they, clearly they they have uh, a background together and, you know, he's responding really well to uh, his time this spring. Like you said, I mean, he's got almost a 500 OBP. But that's not who he is. Um, you know maybe the move to the Red Sox is gonna lead to a breakout for for Hernandez and I hope it does, but a breakout for Hernandez might look like a 335 to a 345 OBP. Um, that's still not going to be a higher mark than what Verdugo is likely to post. Um, so I don't quite understand uh, giving him more at bats than a guy like Rafael Devers, who I think we would all agree has AL MVP type potential uh, in his bat. So sure. anything that is going to shortchange his bat uh, at all bothers me a little bit. Um, so like, as long as this is working, that's fine, Cora. But if right. a month into the season, uh, Enrique Hernandez has a 300 OBP, this needs to change. And it needs to change fast. Totally agree. Yeah.
1: It's not as abhorrent that I think it's a massive mistake. And I'm interested to see how this particular lineup plays for like the first few weeks, month. But... Yeah, if Kike is struggling, I don't want to see it drag on more than a month. Because then I think you're just limiting yourself offensively.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and this lineup has a lot of potential to be very good. And it can still be a very good lineup with Hernandez uh, hitting later on. You know, especially, I don't have really a problem if you ended up pushing him down to like the 6th or 7th spot. You still had him after the big boppers, but... You know, um, before some of the guys who can clear the bases in a hurry, the Franchies, the Renfros, the Dahlbecks, you know, having him be an on-base guy to get in front of those players, I think, is is a smart move. Um, so there's a lot of other places in the lineup where I think he would make quite a bit of sense. Sure. Um, the The projected lineup, though, right now, uh, as Chris Cotillo tweeted out just a few days ago, um is is kind of, you know, as you'd expect it to be. Uh, we already alluded to the top. It's Enrique Hernandez followed by Verdugo uh, in the three-hole, J.D. Martinez followed by Bogey in the four-hole, which I actually do like Bogey there. Um, I'd probably slightly prefer – well, my ultimate lineup would be Bogey in the two-hole uh, behind um, – Behind Verdugo, but, you know, that's another story. Um, Devers at the fifth spot. Your boy Renfro in the sixth hole. Seventh would be either Marwin or Franchi, depending on whether or not Franchi is healthy enough to start the season. Uh, Christian Vasquez, eight. And Bobby Dahlbeck, nine. Um, We've talked kind of a lot about the middle of that lineup, but I want to touch on the back end here. I kind of like the idea of filling the line, the back end of the lineup with these kind of three true outcomes type guys. Uh, we've touched on this a little bit in a, in a couple other podcasts that we've done. But, you know, seeing this finally come to fruition here is really interesting uh, for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. Looks pretty good. It's much more exciting than uh, Jose Peraza... Munoz and then Arroyo at the end. <laughs> you just feel like <laughs> yeah. you're not getting anything out of that. Um, yeah, this looks like a pretty darn good batting order.
2: Yeah, it does. It really does. And and uh, Cotillo also notes that in the middle there, the JD Martinez, Xander Bogart's, Devers core uh, could switch around uh, depending on, you know, the game and the pitcher on the mound and, and things like that. So, um, there's a little bit of flexibility there. I think the guy that I'm going to be watching for maybe more than anybody else outside of uh, Enrique Hernandez is J.D. Martinez. Because so far uh, this spring, J.D. Martinez has not you know, been amazing. Uh, I was looking for a big spring from him. And what we've gotten so far over 37 ABs is 243 batting average, 293 OBP, and a 297 slugging percentage. He doesn't have a single home run. He doesn't have uh, a triple. He's got two doubles. That's it. Just four, uh, four runs and nine hits over the course of the spring. Um, not what I was looking for from him.
1: No, but I'm not real concerned. I mean, it's just spring. So I think he's going to figure it out. I, I mean, he's he's talked a lot about how he just wasn't mentally there for last year, which is something that we've heard from a ton of other players, too. Like Javier Baez spoke to that a lot. Um, One of the kids in Atlanta, I forgot which one it was, had similar comments that, you know, you geared up to play a season and then it paused and then you didn't know if you are going to play and then you geared up again. And then uh, that coupled with he had a pretty poor season last year, and I think he's pretty frustrated by that. So he's shown – time and time again that he's a good enough hitter to figure this stuff out. And with a mentally focused on a year and not only focused and here, but being annoyed with his performance from a year ago, I'm not worried. I think he's gonna be just fine.
2: Yeah, you're probably right. Um don't want to overreact too much to spring stats. I mean uh Rafael Devers has a seven ten OPS uh over the course of the spring so far. Hunter Renfro, six ninety four Um, And then Alex Verdugo, um, 508. So those guys aren't having great springs. Meanwhile, Yairo Munoz has an uh, 1140 OPS. So there's probably not a tremendous amount that you can draw from that. Other than like he was just kind of one of those guys I was looking for for, to have a big spring, much in the way that I was with Chavis. Like I kind of just wanted to see it. Even though I know if I saw the huge spring, I'd be saying the exact same thing. Like, ah, you know what? Who cares? Let's see it in the regular season. So all of this is to say spring training means nothing.
1: Yeah. But I get what you're saying. though. If he goes out and has a good spring, it gives you a little bit of peace of mind instead of the the slight doubts that you're like, "Eh, was last year just a mental thing? Or is this when he starts to decline and we're paying a guy 20 plus million to be bad? (laughs)
2: in that I don't blame you right yeah yeah that that is the fear exactly because you know when when somebody uh who's not making any money does it you're just like well you know it's Chavis all right right. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah yeah exactly um let's move on to the projected rotation here we've already talked about the projected bench uh the projected rotation as it stands right now is Erod Richards Ivaldi Perez Pavetta as I said before at the top of the show, there's really no surprises. We've talked about Erod and Richards and, and a lot of these guys, but I wanted to just kind of get your feel, Keaton. Uh, if you could rank these guys from one to five as to how confident you are that they will have a good season. One to five out of these guys. What's your ranking?
1: Well, what's a, what's a good season
2: like? Well, I guess that's it's all relative, relative right? to the guy, yeah. right? You know, like – um, Confidence rankings in terms of, like, do you think Erod will perform up to expectations? Richards, like, Evaldi. Obviously, we don't expect Pavetta to go out there and win a Cy Young. But, like, let's just say Pavetta, you know, better than a four-and-a-half ERA. A usable guy. Basically what Martin Perez was last year. You know, that type of stuff. Like, are you... What are your expectations for these guys? I'm just curious to see how you would line them up opening day, if if, if given the choice.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's probably how I would do it, how they have it. I feel 75%, uh, we'll go 80% confidence that Erod um, pitches to his expectations. Uh, 70 on Garrett Richards, which is probably just – A little bit optimistic, but you know how I feel. It's like 50% on Evaldi. I feel like 95% on Perez. But that's like being a guy that eats a bunch of innings and has a 4-5 ERA. Mm -hmm. So I have high expectations that will be a great fifth (laughs) star, And then uh, Pavetta is like a 30% that he lives up to. The expectations because he's had a really good spring and he had a really good debut. I'm just not sure that's the guy over an entire season because the rest of his career has been pretty bad. Yep. So I'm not – I mean, I'm hoping for it, sure, but not real confident in it. But if he's your fifth starter and if he sucks and gets switched out with Whitlock,
2: yeah, I don't know. That's fine. All right. I'm going to give you some numbers, and you're going to tell me whether or not you believe they will be over or under these figures. Okay. Okay. Uh, ERA for the season for Eduardo Rodriguez. Will he be over or under 3.8? Under. Okay. So you are projecting a career-best ERA for Eduardo Rodriguez. Interesting. That's good.
1: Wow. I didn't realize. I honestly thought you were going to come at me with like a 3-2, and then that was going to be a difficult conversation because I think that's probably where he comes in right around is a 3-2. Wow.
2: That would be a massive jump for his career. Uh, I'm going to say that he, (sighs) man, I'm going to take the over. I'm going to take the over on that. I think he's going to be like a 3.9 ERA guy. Um, All right. Garrett Richards. Is Garrett Richards going to be over or under a 3.7 ERA? His career mark is 3.62.
1: That one's tough.
2: Last year, he was a
1: 4.03. Yeah, that that's a really good mark. I'm going to go slightly over. I feel like he's probably a
2: 3.8. Okay, I'm going to take the under. I have him as a 3.6 guy Ooh, okay. this year. Yep, I like him. I like him a lot. Um, let's flip it to Nathan Eovaldi. So, Eovaldi was the best starter for the Red Sox last year pretty easily, 3.72 ERA on the year. He's a career 4.27 guy, but he's actually been trending downwards uh, in his ERA. 2018, he was a 3.81. He had the horrible season in 2019, followed by the good year last year. Let's put him at a 3.9, over or under. Darn it, I
1: thought you were going to go with a 3.7. I was going to say I think he's 3.9. So um I'm going to go slightly over just cuz I feel like he'll probably have a couple starts where he gets blown up and then hits the DL for whatever 10 15 days whatever it is nowadays uh that kind of like balloon his line a bit but for the majority of the season he'll be pitching to a better number but he'll just have some blow-ups that push him over.
2: Yeah, I'm a little bit more bearish on him than you are. I agree with you. I think the blow-ups and the injuries are probably something you can bank in for him. I have him as like a 4.2 ERA guy for the year, which I think is going to be fine because, you know, there's going to be, I would say, two-thirds of his starts are going to be really good. Yeah. But we're going to get some real shit too, and we always do. So this is what it is. All right, let's move on to my guy. Martin Perez, all hail Perez day. Uh, Martin Perez was also pretty good for the Red Sox last year, 4.5 ERA. uh, Pretty good for the Red Sox. That's the operative word here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He has not fared very well over his career, though, in terms of ERA. That was one of the better seasons he's ever had. He's a career 4.71 ERA guy. Uh, Let's put his number at... 4.5 exactly what it was last year will he be over or under 4.5 under oh wow
1: yeah i think you've convinced me i don't think it's it's, it shouldn't be hard to get like a 4-2 just from any pitcher any major league average pitcher it shouldn't be hard to get there but obviously it is very hard for a lot of guys to get there but i just feel like i'm buying into what the red sox worked with him the last season, you convinced me. I feel like 4-2 is somewhere he can get to.
2: I'm going to go over. Uh, I'm going to go 4.7. I, okay. I think he's going to be worse than he was last year. I I don't know why I feel that way. I just do. I think he there is something to him limiting the hard, hard exit velocities. Uh, he's done it the last two years. But he's just still too damn hittable. And with the Blue Jays lineup getting better, even the Baltimore lineup is scary in some ways. Like, there's just too much in this division. just scares the hell out of me with his stuff. I mean, that's fair.
1: Yeah. Have we gone opposite on all these? Yeah, I don't.
2: What's wrong with us? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Um all right, Nick Pavetta is the last one here. Um Pavetta is a career 5.4 ERA guy. His last 2 years have been a 6.89 ERA, a 5.38 ERA. And the year before that when he was like super duper air quotes good, he was a 4.77 ERA. I'm going to put his number at 5 Point one is he going to be over or
1: under 5.1 era see like having an era over five for a lot of a season is just i feel like that means you don't have any other options but i guess at the same time if he sucks for two months and his era is like a seven then yeah he's gonna get replaced but yeah
2: probably by sale when he comes back or (laughs) yeah you know one of these other guys Yeah,
1: I mean, again, it's just like if I look at any Major League pitcher, be like, it can't be that hard to get to like 4-7, man. Just put it together. Um, I'm going to go under just because, I don't know, apparently I'm really optimistic. But I'm trying not to buy into him having a good spring and a good two starts last year. But he he may be a true change of scenery guy. Mm -hmm. And me betting on him getting – to just an era of five on the nose i feel confident enough in that
2: <laughs> yeah you know what i i actually do too um i i think he's made some real changes in terms of his release point and um you know some of the he cleaned up some of the things that were ailing him a little bit i do think he ends up being like a 4.8 ERA type guy. Probably good enough to hang on to the job until Sale or or someone else comes in and and just takes it from him. But um, I think he ends up giving you some useful innings and some good starts this year. So I'm buying into a little bit of what we saw from him last year. Yeah. our first agreement, Keaton.
1: That's kind of I did not think it was going to come on Pavetta.
2: I did not either. That is weird. So... (laughs) You know, good for us though. We're agreeing on Nick Pavetta. Um, all right, let's take a look at the bullpen. So we, we we have taken a good look at the the rotation. That's pretty well set. The projected bullpen right now uh, also seems pretty set. Um, Matt Barnes and Adam Anavito at the back end. Sawamura, uh, Darwin's and Hernandez, followed by Josh Taylor, um, Andres and Whitlock filling that that dual. Sebes' role, Uh, Austin Bryce, and Phillips Valdez uh, seem to be the two likeliest candidates to lock up those back two spots. Um, This seems to be the case because Brazier uh, is still dealing with the fractured finger, so he's not going to likely take one of those Bryce Valdez spots. Um, There's a couple things to notice here, though. There's been some really bad performances amongst some of these guys this spring, and I'm I'm gonna go through a few of the good and bad, and then I want you to kind of weigh in on what you're worried about and and, and what you're not worried about. So, uh, the good: Barnes and Adavino both have zero ERAs uh, so far this spring. Good strikeout to walk ratios. Both have looked really good. Whitlock. We already mentioned how dominant he's looked. Uh, one of the guys I didn't mention, Edward Bizzardo, who they protected this offseason in Rule 5, uh, has been really good. Five innings pitched, four strikeouts, two walks, 1.8 ERA. Um, on the bad side, Valdez has looked horrible. ERA close to 10. Uh, Bryce hasn't looked great either. Seven strikeouts to six walks. Darwins and Hernandez, six walks to four strikeouts. Um, more walks than strikeouts is not what you want to see from him. And then Sawamura also has looked really bad from a strikeout-to-walk ratio. Seven walks, four strikeouts. Um, which of those performances, good and bad, stand out to you? Um, I mean, I think
1: the good stand out. Just because I think we're getting to the point where we should probably know who is going to be the closer. Uh, and having two really good options is not something that we have had recently. So that makes me feel optimistic about what the bullpen looks like. Um, I still think the inconsistencies with the bullpen, I mean, it's not – it's certainly better than it has been recently. Uh, Whitlock being a part of it is also pretty nice. Barnes out of Ino, Um but like I don't think we were expecting Valdez or Bryce, or at least I certainly wasn't really all that invested in Bryce. I wanted Valdez to be good, but didn't really have a track record of it. Uh, besides right. last year, and there he had his struggles there at the end of the year. So I don't, I don't think I'm really surprised or concerned because I think to overhaul a bullpen it takes more than an offend, or one off season. Mm-hmm. But they've certainly made strides for it. So I think there was going to be guys that you know struggled, but I don't think like we're looking for. Bryce or Valdez to really contribute significantly from the bullpen because they have other guys to do that. So I'm not super worried. I mean, there's going to be times where you need pitchers just to finish the game. That's probably going to be them. That's an unfortunate role for those guys to have because I don't think that's uh, the role you're looking for when you're a professional athlete, but someone's got to do it. So I guess I'm not nearly as concerned – with them having poor outings, as I am excited about actually having some options in high leverage situations.
2: Yeah, I I think there's something to that. Um, I also think that they just have better options too for um, Bryce and Valdez. If those guys struggle, Um, you know, a, a couple of the names that we haven't really talked a whole ton about, but have looked pretty good. Um, Josh Winkowski, who they got from, uh, the Mets has looked really good. He's had a, uh, 4.1 innings pitched, uh, 0.92 whip, um, and a 4.15 ERA. Um, not a dominant strikeout guy or anything, but, you know, I, I thought just anecdotally, you know, watching him, his stuff looked like it would play, uh, at the major league level. So, you know, that's okay. Um, Schreiber didn't really look good. He's another one of these guys that they acquired recently. Um, But, again, he's only pitched 1.1 innings, so I don't know too much what to take away from that. But, like, he's an option later on. Uh, Frank Herman is an option, another guy who they acquired. Um, Colton Brewer we've seen look effective at the major league level. Um, Kevin McCarthy has had a really good spring as a non-roster invite. So it you know he could potentially be an option. They picked him up from the Royals um but Eduard Bizardo is the name that I kind of brought up because I think that he's the one that we could see before any of these other guys out of that group. Does anybody really stand out to you? Uh, not really, not even Bizardo,
1: well, yeah, I mean, I guess Bizardo does but I just, I don't know. Maybe it's just kind of, we just talked about relief pitchers and it's not fun for an entire podcast yesterday. <laughs> so maybe I'm just relief pitcher out.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I should have, uh, you know, we we, we should have uh, done the <laughs> just relief just pitcher sure. <laughs> extraordinaire. Uh, we should have got Matt Collins on here because that guy loves obscure relief pitching. Uh, and yeah, Keaton and I just recorded a big, Uh, relief pitcher fantasy baseball podcast over at the Dynasty Guru. So if you're into fantasy baseball and you want to listen to two people talk about relievers for Dynasty Leagues along with Shelly, go for it. (sighs) Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean (laughs) – But we had fun. Yeah. (laughs) I'm hoping –
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not really all that invested in Bryce or Valdez. I mean, Valdez was fun, but it's one of those things where like – Last year was so bad. Was I just invested because last year was so bad Yes, (laughs) kind of deal? Bizarro seems like he could be be really fun and turn into something down the road. So, yeah, I guess, yeah,
2: that is the name that that interests me. Yeah, he's got some mid-inning potential. I'd, I'd say that him and Winkowski are the two guys that I am most interested in. Right now, but we'll you know we'll see. They're not super sexy. Hopefully, Valdez figures it out too because I think his change ups a fun pitch. All right, that's it. Let's get to some listener questions before we get out of here, Keaton. Um, Our first one comes from Gordon Constock, and he says, "How do you feel about the job Will Fleming has been doing? Uh, I feel like he's really starting to get comfortable in the role. I've been enjoying him. Uh, Will Fleming is on the radio broadcast, and he's kind of been." you know, on that team with Joe Castiglione, um, as Sean McDonough calls him, flemball ball, uh, <laughs> which I, I think is endearing. Um, you know, he's, he's done good. I, I like his voice as well. Uh, I think he's good at what he does. He's got a nice calming delivery. Um, I, I think as long as he gets more opportunities, that's always good. Uh, I, I don't have a ton to say about him because I haven't had a, a tremendous amount of opportunity to listen to him in that role yet. But I always do like Fleming uh, when I do hear him. So as long as he's not coming at the expense of Castiglione, I'm cool with that. Because oh, he's the GOAT.
1: That would be tragic.
2: yeah uh next one comes from uh red sox fan and this was actually a question for our red sox on deck podcast but we didn't end up getting to it because we went a little long with our greenville preview there Um, but since i'm on that podcast i figured we'd get to it now uh it says with the emergence of some young hitters do you trade jd at the deadline if he's having a bounce back season and get what you can and then not have a set dh it's an interesting thought keaton what do you think
1: I would say that opens up every day at bats for Michael Chavis. (laughs) That's where you're (laughs) going with this? Not Tristan Casas? You're going Michael Chavis with this thought? That's an option too. Well, it's it for this year. So, I mean, yeah, I guess uh, Casas could get there. But I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess if you get the sense that if him having a really good year means he's going to opt out um, and you're not competing which i guess i'm not expecting them to be then sure but i'm curious if they'll have any sense by the time we get to the deadline on his future and i feel like they're probably just going to be more inclined to keep him but if they're if they're not going anywhere like like full-on 2020 not going anywhere that I'm sure he's not really going to be thrilled and want to stay for that last year in the hopes that something turns around. So yeah, maybe it does. Makes sense.
2: See, I I find this to be a really odd scenario actually because if yeah. the young hitters emerge and JD is also having a good season, um, the Red it Sox seems, themselves should be having a good season. <laughs> exactly right. You know, yeah. the, I expect them to be fully a contending team at that point. And at that point, I really don't expect him to be dealt because he's much more valuable to the Red Sox than probably whatever they could get for him. Um, yeah. And, and with, with Casas really looking like the best case scenario for him to debut would be the end of this ye- season. Uh, it seems like something that maybe you would be much more likely to explore in the off season, uh, than you would now, especially if he decides to opt in, opt into that deal. And, you know, potentially with the NLDH looming next year too, that becomes even more interesting. So I would actually be very surprised. um, That being said, if, if he is like one of the lone bright spots on this team and the pitching goes to hell and the team is clearly out of it at the deadline, yeah, absolutely try and shop him because he's probably not part of the next great Red Sox team at that point
1: totally agree
2: all right well that does it for our podcast we do hope you've enjoyed it uh, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day whether whether you're you know cooking driving going to the gym taking a nap listening to us as you know, Keaton's dulcet tones help you fall asleep. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Whatever you're doing, we do appreciate it. Um, And if you want to pop on and give us a rate and review, we always do appreciate that. Again, uh, we've got a lot of great shows on this network now. We have Keaton and Shelly doing the precap podcast previewing and recapping uh, upcoming and going Red Sox series. Uh, We have Matt Collins and Brian Joyner uh, doing the Over the Monster uh, podcast, which is kind of like this show, but with their takes. Uh, And then we also have uh, Shelly and Bob Osgood, along with myself for now, uh, doing the Red Sox On Deck Prospect podcast, which is going to cover a level per week uh, of the Red Sox system and keep you updated with things that are going on there. So we have a lot of great shows. All you have to do is hit the subscribe button to the Over the Monster podcast and you will be subscribed to not only this show, The Red Seat, but all of those other ones that I mentioned as well. Uh, So please do check that out. Share it with your friends and family. We do appreciate getting in more ears there. Uh, And uh, have a great night. Thanks so much, Keaton, for joining me as usual. And uh, we'll be with you next week.